Hello, everyone. My name is Suki Thompson. Welcome to Reset, the podcast, a place for you to get some inspiration and advice to help you live a more fulfilling work life. I do hope that your journey to feel more connected, more inspired, just a bit more energized starts here. Take a moment now with me to reset. about you but I never used to talk about money it just wasn't something we discussed in our family but I changed my view when a friend of mine gave our 13 year old daughters a 50 pound note to go shopping with on a Saturday it kind of changed my life and so I was so excited to talk to a specialist on why we should have a conversation openly about our finances Gabby Slammer is the CEO and founder of Finasana. She was a former investment banker on Wall Street, and she shares in our conversation why and how she's dedicating her life to helping others create peace around their pennies. In our conversation, we tackle really big questions like, how much money is really enough? How much money do I need to make me happy? as well as thoughts around the way we perceive wealth in our society. There are some really great lessons and learnings to be taken from this episode. I've sent it already to some of my friends and my kids, and I believe it could help you to perhaps start your journey to achieving financial well-being. Oh, and by the way, if you'd like this episode, please click on the subscribe button. Thanks. Gabby, it's lovely to meet you, um, albeit we're not next to each other. Um, how are you today? Yeah, lovely to meet you too. I'm doing well. It's so great to be here. How are you? Oh, I'm, I am so much better, thank you. Uh, I've not been very well, but it's so, when you've not been very well and then you suddenly actually feel better, you know, there's a real truism, isn't there, which is you have to look after your wellness or you're forced to look after your illness. And you know, I don't know, maybe we'll talk a little bit about this today, but, you know, you and I are both in the space of focusing on well-being and business, you particularly around financial well-being. And so in a way, I think we should know that we have yeah. to look after ourselves. So it's been a bit of a surprise that even though I think I'm really good at this, somehow I've recognized that I'm not. So, um, you know, I've, I've had a real kind of soul searching in the last couple of months um, and actually a big part of that is around my own financial well-being you know unlike you I am over 50 um, so it's a you know my children have just left home they're working for the first time and the impact that our financial well-being has on us throughout our lives at every moment has such a massive impact on how confident we feel, how secure we feel. Is that why you started your business? A uh, great, great kind of segue. Yeah, that, that is a huge part of it. I mean, our financial wellness and similar to kind of overall wellness, it's not about just once and done and saying you're going to focus on it and maybe going to a yoga class or seeing a financial advisor once and then saying it's taken care of. It's this ongoing thing. And 
Um, you touched on confidence too, and confidence is such an important part of it. It's confidence and consistency so that we give these things our attention and um, a bit of our headspace so that we can live the lives that we want and contribute to our overall wellness and well-being. Um, and so when our finances are in order, and I'm sure we'll talk a lot about this, um, as you said, but money today in both the UK and the US is the number one cause of stress ahead of work, ahead of relationships, ahead of everything else. And so the impact that our finances has on our overall well-being and our mental health really can't be um, understated. It's, it's integral. It's a huge, huge part of how we feel and how we show up every day. Um, and anyone who has a high degree of financial stress can relate to that so much. I mean, I hear so many people say that they're lying awake in bed at night and it's 3 a.m. and they're staring at the ceiling just thinking about their bank account. Um, so it really does impact everything we do. And financial stress doesn't discriminate either. You can't say, well, I'm going to go to the gym now, so I'm just going to park it at the door or I'm going to go to work. It just follows us around. And whether we're fully cognizant or not, sometimes it's just this like black cloud that is just yeah. waiting to erupt. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know what? We see that all the time. You know, for us in the seven needs of well-being and performance, number one is how secure do you feel? Um, at work and in your finance and in your life. And we talk about it so much. Um, so let's let's come back to you and see where this started from. I, you know, I always end up asking my guests about their childhood because so often it's something that's happened there that links to what they do, particularly entrepreneurs like you. And you were, you know, you were an investment banker beforehand. Um, you're bilingual. Tell us a little bit about your childhood and the impact that that had. Were you rich? Were you poor? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um... So I was born in Brazil originally, and then we moved around quite a bit. And I grew up in South Florida. Um, and that was where my entire kind of childhood from the time I was five until 21, I was in Florida. Um, but my parent, I'm originally from Brazil, full Brazilian background. Um, and, and we were quite well off growing up. I didn't really understand um, too much about what that even meant. I mean, what child I remember once asking my dad um dad are we rich and he was like you're not um so you're a child and so my parents always tried to teach me a lot about um finances and money growing up but it was um my dad loved passive income and would talk about passive income all the time but so I always understood what that was. I definitely had um, a, a good base growing up. For people that don't know what passive income is, what is that? So passive income is anything that any income that is generated automatically. So um, when you make money off of something that you aren't exchanging your time for. So when you go to a job, you get paid active income. When you invest in something, usually that's what it's associated with. It's passive income, meaning your money is just working for you automatically in the background. Um, so my dad was really big into real estate. So he would always try to um, talk to me and my sister about the benefits of investing in real estate, um, but also really try to instill in us this idea of thinking about our finances and achieving financial independence so that we weren't beholden to a paycheck for kind of the rest of our lives. But 
more than kind of creating like a real estate empire, which obviously we didn't have <laughs> the money to do as kids um, or even now, but just instilling this idea of saving a little bit of every paycheck that you make. And um, for you to have an idea, my first job was at Haagen-Dazs scooping ice cream when I was about 15 at the local <laughs> shopping mall. Um, and during my breaks, there was a Hollister or kind of around the corner in the mall. And so I would during I would work for, I don't know, four hours or something making minimum wage and then go to Hollister and say, oh, I really want this pair of jeans. I think it was like, I don't know, 40 or 50 bucks at the time. My dad would be like, well, how much do you make an hour? How many hours do you have to work to buy the pair of jeans at Hollister? And I would do the math and be like, oh, I don't think I want them anymore. <laughs> um, but so how good that you, it's so interesting, isn't it? So, you know, I always think that Americans are much better than the British about talking about money anyway. Um, you know, I grew up in a, in a my mom is utterly gorgeous. Um, uh, and I guess what you would call a middle-class environment, although my mom was the kind of black sheep of the family. Um, and she is so open about everything, but would never talk about money. I mean, even now, and she's 80 next year, it's very hard for her to have a conversation about money. And I remember when my children were 13 and 10, I had a great friend called Stephen Pycroft, and Stephen runs, um, ran then a big company in the UK called Mace, which was one of the big um, construction businesses, actually. And our girls were 13. And, um, and sadly, Jessica, who's my goddaughter, her mum died. And so Stephen sent the kids off to go shopping and gave them 50 pound note. Now they were 13 years old. I was one horrified that he gave them 50 pound note each. <laughs> like going, Stephen, this is ridiculous. I give them 5p. Um, but then also, you know, over dinner, he would talk about how much he earned. He'd get people to guess the bill and do exactly what your dad did to you. And I initially, I mean, I, I was almost sick with worry because I thought this was the most terrible thing to do ever. But then I recognized it was a brilliant thing to do because it was so not what I'd done, my family had done, any of my friends had done, um, but it made such a big difference. And now I talk to my kids about it. It really changed their lives, but particularly in the UK, and maybe you see this with loads of your clients, it's just not something that even happens, even at that early age, even with your family where, I mean, what are you hiding? Nothing. Well, especially with your family, I think a lot of times, and it's definitely the same in the US, I think slowly things are starting to change, but money and shame are just so related to each other. And I love that money <laughs> and shame are so related together. You are so right. And it's something that, that talking about money makes us feel bad and asking questions about it. And it's something that so money is so emotional. I mean, it's so much more about our behaviors, our mindset and our feelings about money than the numbers themselves. So I think talking about money, it just brings it out into the open. Um, it's like a, a good example that I use. It's like a haunted house. We're all scared about money. Um, when you walk through a haunted house, the reason it's scary is because all of the lights are off. But if you just turn on the lights, it's funny, even you, you're not scared. You can just easily walk through. And it's the same thing with money. The more we talk about it, the more educated people get, the more and more we're removing the stigma around it and making it something that it's just something else in our lives that we need to talk about and needs to be open because 
and I wish this was a quote of mine, but it's, it's not. I borrowed it from um, Morgan Housel, the author of Psychology of Money, which is money and our health are two things that we have to deal with no matter who we are and no matter whether we want to or not. But money oftentimes, there, there's this huge stigma around it and people don't talk about it. Um, there's a lot of like elitism within it. There's people who are good with money and then everyone else. But really, and oftentimes that goes back to, well, I'm not very good at math or I'm just not good at numbers. I'm a creative person, but it's so much more than the numbers. Yes. And I think it's so important to realize that. And um, when we think about money from a perspective of a more kind of mindset, and this goes into um, the, the the name behind my business, Finasana. Oh, good. Yes, please. Uh-huh. Now tell us about Finasana. Where did it come from? Yeah, so um, I, I worked on Wall Street, as you mentioned, for my entire career before I launched Finasana. But in 2017, I did a yoga teacher training while I was living in New York City and was just engrossed in the world of mindfulness and meditation um, and really really begin to appreciate the impact of just well-being on our overall health um, and meditation. And, and before my teacher training, I was kind of the biggest proponent of mind over matter. I'm just going to work my way through it. Like, I don't need to take care of my body. I'm just going to work, 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 put my head down and get through it. And then afterwards, I realized that while that's kind of like a disguise and we can't actually do that because we need to take care of our bodies, um, and there's just so much impact on um, our day to day and what we're doing and just shutting yourself off from stress that you're feeling or that you are experiencing and pretending it doesn't exist, just mm-hmm. like pretending that your finances don't exist is not the right thing because it's just going to grow and bubble in the background. Um, so I started to take approaching everything that I do a little bit differently with this new sort of um, almost respect for our bodies and the stress that we feel. And if you pretend stress isn't there, it's not going to go away. And it's so important to focus on kind of the, the underlying and give yourself, um, permission to react and be both proactive and reactive to the situation around you instead of just plowing through and expecting things to resolve themselves. So when people come to you and talk about their financial situation or want to have a conversation about it, because I, I think the bit that always strikes me uh, when I, and I actually I've had the same financial advisor, a brilliant woman for 20 years, but the reason I moved to her was her first question was not how much money do you have? Her first question was how are you and what's <laughs> impacting your life? And I just you know, Anna Soffit, I just love that about her. Anna, and I still see it so often in finance. It's about the money. It's not about you as a person. It, is that what the kind of thing you're meaning around you need to think about your well-being? Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's all about you. It's not about the money at all. It's 100% about you as a human and what your goals are and your approach to money and something that we talk. So Finasana... Um, fin is finance and then asana is a Sanskrit word traditionally used for meditative posture. So the idea behind finasana was kind of bringing together Wall Street and wellness and um, using these more mindful concepts 
and approaching finance from a different perspective than just what, what, how old are you going to be when you're going to retire? Let's back into how much you need to save every month. What return are we going to get? You need to invest in this and this and this. And that's a lot for most people to shut off completely. Um, But a lot of times, I mean, especially when you're looking at these like financial models that put these inputs in to spit out a number at you. Um, there's so many variables and what they don't take into consideration is your personal goals in life and your approach. Um, so for one person, that number that they need to save because they want to live a certain life may be completely different to someone else, depending kind of what their goals are and what they want to accomplish. But more than that, what they're comfortable with, because the point of money is to allow us to do more of the things that we love and give us choices and dependence and control, not to have a bunch of money in the bank and the most tax advantage accounts earning the best return. That's not going to improve our lives. And in fact, it's probably going to just add stress to our lives because then we're wanting to make sure that we got it right. But when it comes to money, there is no such thing as there's no right or wrong. It's what works for you as an individual and what's going to make you sleep soundly at night and be comfortable knowing that you have choice and that you can make decisions. Um, and you're not, you don't have that black cloud over your head. So it, it, there are some numbers and concepts that are important, but mindset and behavior is so much more important. Yeah. Yeah. And why is it that psychologically we find talking about money difficult? I mean, not everyone, because some people find it yeah. unbelievably easy. And, you know, so, God, I've been to so many dinner parties when I've sat with so <laughs> stereotypical, but men, middle class, rich, fat, <laughs> silver haired men that just tell you the second they meet you how much money they're worth. Yeah. And, but most people don't do that. Uh, and I guess it maybe it's the, it's the psychology of both sides. You know, we kind of know what makes those, uh, you know, lunatics. Um, what makes the rest of us be like that? I think that there it's a combination of two different things. One of them is as a society, we tie numbers to success. And a lot of times we define our own self-worth as our net worth. When in fact, those two aren't, shouldn't always be related. And it's down to each individual to think about what their value system is and what they value in their lives to decide what to attribute their worth to. Not some arbitrary number of how much you have in your bank account or how much your paycheck says, but that's not what we've been told. Society tells us that people in jobs such as lawyers or bankers, are successful. People with a lot of money are successful. But in reality, a lot of times, if we were to look at these people on like objectively on paper and say, what are they doing with their day to day? Are they doing the things they love? How much time do they have? Not most of us probably wouldn't necessarily want that life. So yes, and and, and you're so right. And, And just on that point, you know, it's so interesting, isn't it? We see it. I see it all the time. I speak to very wealthy leaders that 
you know, talk about, and I went to the diary. If you, do you know the diary of the CEO with Stephen Bartlett? Yes, 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 so yes. I went to his live show last week with my daughter. Oh, amazing. And, and he tells his story. And, you know, he was from a very, very poor background, for those of you listening who don't, don't know him. Um, and so from, you know, from being very tiny, he just wanted to not be like his parents. He wanted to have enough money and he wanted a Lamborghini. So <laughs> he, and he wanted to do it by the time he was 13. He wanted to get a million quid. And so this drove him. And then just before he was 30, he sold his business, um, social chain. He got 30 million pounds. He bought his Lamborghini. And the day after he thought he would feel great, but actually he realized uh, he had no friends. He had no girlfriend. He had no life. In fact, he was suffering from anxiety and depression. His business partner was an alcoholic. Now, that's a very extreme version. But, <laughs> you know, and, and we it's so common think, I know. And the stat is, we always think that if we had three times the amount we had, it would be fine. The average, the average, and it's about 70 grand in UK money, isn't it? So it's about maybe $90,000 or something that that's kind of all we need. And once we have that, actually you are no more happy. And it's all about what you do with your money, how you live your life, how you feel inside. But that's a really significant shift, isn't it? Absolutely. And what's interesting about that is that uh, there's been studies done and that show that the rich don't actually feel rich. So rich isn't a number. It's more of a mindset, which is really this. um, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? The the ropes keep going up and um, or the stakes keep increasing and the totem pole keeps just getting higher. And um, the, the studies that were done showed that generally speaking, people, no matter the incomes, they could be at 10,000 or at 100,000 or a million, that they always thought more money would make them happier and that they weren't actually rich. Regard, and it's crazy when you look at that, because how can you say a millionaire, someone who's earning a million pounds a year doesn't feel rich? And it's because the way that, I mean, Part of it is due to lifestyle creep and the more money that you get, the more money that you spend, your social circles change and you're always trying to keep up. You're always trying to impress your neighbor and keep up with the Joneses. Um, so so it's, it's really, really fascinating thinking about that. And a lot of people will think, especially younger people, well, if I just had more money, that would be the answer. And there, there's a lot of back and forth on this because not having a lot of money in that number that you mentioned of the 70,000 can definitely bring stress and does bring stress to a lot of people. But oftentimes it's not, it's not about the number at all. Um, especially once you hit that, because it's about people who are spending lavishly outside or not even lav- lavishly, but it's more about kind of positioning mindset and the way that you approach and manage the money that you do have to both protect and grow that money instead of, um, yeah. And, and so interesting, isn't it? Because uh, after the show last week, uh, Jazz and I were talking, she went, oh, yeah, you know, mom, I remember looking the first time you showed me because you were so excited because you had like £100,000 in your bank account. Now, actually, what I showed her was the first time I had a million pounds in my bank account. And I was so excited. I'd been given, you know, it was a thing, you know, a bonus thing. Uh, and, you know, I've been an entrepreneur for yeah. most of my adult life. But wasn't it interesting? Because for me, it was that moment of that money. She was so young. 
she was like, <laughs> she's just like remembering it going, Jesus, yeah. so much money it must be. Now, and it's, and it's exactly what you say. It makes no difference. I remember the day actually feeling amazing. I was not like Steve Bartlett. I literally <laughs> took a picture. I smiled and smiled. I was so pleased with myself. Um, but, and I never, ever forget that moment. And I'm so grateful and I'm so delighted and it's so changed my life. But it, it wasn't that it wasn't enough. It was just like, oh, but now I need to do more. Yeah. Not because I'll be then happy, but just but why would you stop? You just have to do more because that's what we do. We do more until we stop doing it and then we retire and then we worry about have we got enough money <laughs> to retire. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, for me, you know, I think my mum has only, like in the last few years, stopped saying, have you got enough money, darling? You know, I literally <laughs> had to say to her, mum, you know, can you see this? I'm okay. It's because I'm always starting businesses and she always worries about me. Um, but it, it is like a it's the concept of debt, isn't it? Well, yeah. And the concept of enough though. I love that you mentioned that because what is enough? Enough isn't a number. Um, there, there's a, a cute little story um, that was the founder of Vanguard, uh, I believe said that he was out at a party um, at, in some billionaire's house and a hedge fund manager. And someone said, said to the hedge fund, uh, or someone said to him, can you believe this guy earns more money than you'll ever learn, earn in your life in a day than you'll earn in your life or something like that. And I'm totally butchering the story. But the other person's response was, yeah, but I have something he'll never have. And what's that? I have enough. And this concept of enough, which is different for absolutely everyone, but unless you can identify what that means for you, not just monetarily speaking, but what is enough flying a private jet is enough going on yeah. vacation once a year what is enough for you and identifying that um it is so critical for your overall financial wellness and financial independence yeah. because it gives you a goal and it gives you something to strive for and you know you're so right when I after I sold oyster catches um and I still share the business I decided I didn't want to work there full-time but I they really kindly said, well, don't leave, do something less, but do something else. And I, I grew up in Cornwall, uh, which is in the southwest of yes. the UK, and it's on the beach. And so I went there because I wanted to write the book, Let's Reset. I had lots of pictures and stories and amazing inspirational things. And it, and it took me six months. So I went to live in my house on the beach in Cornwall. And although I'm Cornish and I have some friends and loads of family there, um, I, I had moved to this new apartment. So they only got to know me as this person who writes a book. So, uh, you know, when they began, you know, these new natal friends are lovely. Uh, and Jamie Lee, who was my next door neighbor, introduced me to some people. She said, this is Suki, she's an author. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, how weird. I haven't been an author. I mean, one, I've never been an author. I've always in my body gone, I want to write a book, it'll be amazing. Um, but it was so interesting to be defined in Cornwall on the beach where literally everyone just wears shorts and a t-shirt. You have no idea. And almost nobody has any money there at all because it's in the middle of nowhere and it's <laughs> on a beautiful beach. And, you know, I mean, they, they have nobody's, and I work, you know, your first job was at haagen My first job was at the surf shop on that beach. So Amazing. that was my very first job. And frankly, almost everyone who was there then is still there now. Wow. But for me, it was an amazing, liberating experience because to your point, 
I had enough. And yeah. nobody defined me about with anything else. And the only thing that I had that even gave away slightly was I had a Mercedes. And the locals took the roundel of my Mercedes off my car three times they stole it which frankly we used to do when we were kids and I was like do you know what fuck it I'm not even going to put that but very yeah. few people get that opportunity do they to be redefined because of a circumstance or what you go to which makes an impact on how you see money and how you see yourself and your own well-being Absolutely. And I'm sure for you, having that experience of being kind of redefined after you've already made it, how did you feel when they introduced you as an author? I mean, how did, were, did you feel the need to say, oh, actually, I've done all these things and I have this much in the bank account? Or was it kind of liberating? Well, initially, yes, but literally I didn't open my mouth because, because I grew up there and because I you know, I came from a, a life where we literally just surfed at stuff. And I'm very aware of that. And, and you know what, my mum, who, you know, has a car, but literally hardly spends any money on anything, because she's so worried about people knowing she has some money. Uh, that has been drummed into me. Uh, so I didn't luckily say anything. And I'm so pleased. And you know, now we've been through the whole of COVID. So three years later, it's only just now that some of them go, oh, We've now seen that you do all this other stuff. Um, but they know me as somebody different now. And actually, when I'm there, I'm the, it's my absolute happy place. And I have realised what enough is. And it's absolutely not to do with how much money I have. The view I have from my window, which is over the beach, nothing could buy. Literally, it's the most perfect place ever. And I feel amazing. And my family do too. And that's the most important thing for me. Absolutely. That's, just, that's so incredible. That, that is the goal. Um, and I think a lot of times people listening to this may be, well, that's easy for her to say after she made a million pounds in her bank account. But the truth is that you'd be surprised by how little you actually, like you don't need a million. There is that number of the 70 or 90, which is like the happiness number. Um, but it's, it's a lot lower than I think a lot of people think it would be. Yeah. And, and, and you know, what I do see there every day is people who are even lower than that, who are happy because they are walking their dog on the beach. They have got enough money to live from. They surf before work. They might not do something that they love. And we know purpose is so important, but, you know, they have a life that they genuinely feel really happy about. And I think it's very hard for most of us, particularly once you come out of those smaller villages and, you know, to, to feel comfortable. You know, if I only lived in London, I would never feel happy because everyone around me has more than I have in some way, a bigger house, a big, you know, all the things you've just talked about. And I would never be able to get out of that. I know. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's hard. It's really hard. It's, it's a, when it comes to this, like happiness versus money and stress versus money, it's, it's so much self-discovery and like a, values exercise and, and it's hard. And even, even for me, I mean, I write about this stuff. I've taught courses on this stuff and sometimes I have to check myself and I'll be walking down the street and see someone in a pair of shoes or a new bag handbag that I want or whatever it is. And I'm like, Ooh, I want that. Yeah. And then it's like, but, but why is it going to make you happier? Um, and it's, I think it's important to have those check-in moments and that's where the mindfulness a lot of times comes, comes into it. 
Um, and I talk about this a lot when it comes to like tracking your expenses or budgeting. Sometimes when I go back through my own expenses and I'll like categorize shopping and then I'm like, what did I buy? I don't remember. And it's like, Mm, that might not be the best thing. If I don't even remember what I bought, did it actually make me happy and bring me joy? Yeah, I know. I, do you know what? I um, I, I have my daughter, Jazz. I also have my son, Sam. And uh, Sam is a little bit like me, which is he likes, he doesn't spend loads of money on loads of stuff, but he likes a few really good things. In his instance, it's either whiskey, because he works uh, for a whiskey company, um, or clothes. So he loves clothes and guitars. Um, so he went to live in Edinburgh last year, which is in Scotland. And I'm like, he didn't go to university. He went to study um, whiskey and distilleries and all this kind of stuff. And I thought... Scotland's a good place then. Oh, amazing. It's perfect for him. Perfect yeah. for him. We come from a family of distillers. But Sam is a little bit on the spectrum. And, you know, he's had a very privileged life. So I'm thinking, I'm not sure that he's going to be able to save I don't think he's going to be able to do anything I don't even think he's going to be able to live in Scotland frankly but you know more for me because he has been amazing and brilliant and hasn't gone into debt at all to your point but he's also learned the thing about saving now his motivation for saving is he wants an apartment where he has a dishwasher and he wants somebody to come and clean it because he hates cleaning and he he's never done washing up in his life he thinks it's terrible um but what was really funny was a few weeks ago end of January because you know in in a December you often get paid weirdly and it's his first yeah. job so he gets to the end of January and he has no money so I'm really worried and I go oh Sam you know you've spent all your money that's okay but I said look you had some Christmas money honey you must have got some money and he went well yeah I've got ten thousand pounds <laughs> I'm going what and he said Yes, in my savings account, mum. I'm going, yeah, but, you know, honey, what you do is you take your money out of your savings account and you use it for every day. You don't eat bread for dinner. And he went, no. No, because this is the money I spend and I and I live off and I didn't have any money. And it was he's so literal like this. But that was the other extreme. And I was, I did laugh. And actually, yeah. I, sent him, I sent him some money because I was so proud of him <laughs> for saving yeah. as well as living off what he's earning as well. And, you know, he doesn't earn very much. You know, he, he does whiskey tastings. He works in a shop with whiskey. Yeah. And he has this big dream of being an entrepreneur. But how cool was that? That is incredible. If everyone had that approach, I don't think any of us would have any financial troubles. <laughs> I know, but I know that he really worries about it too. I mean, he yeah. will have, and the thing when he first went, sleepless nights about how do I look after my money? What do I do? Where should it go? How, you know, it's a big, you know, he's 21, so 22 now. It's a big worry for him. Um, yeah. So I think that debt piece, the savings piece, what else do we need to really help young people ourselves think about? Well, investing to me is the one of the most important pieces of overall financial management, planning, everything. And it's something that people are starting to talk about a bit more, but it's it's still slow. Um, but it, oftentimes what I hear people say is that, oh, investing isn't for me. I don't have enough money. That's only for rich old people. Um, that's only for people who work in finance. Um, but the reality is that that's A, just not true. Um, and B, it should be a lot more accessible than it actually is because oftentimes, and I think this goes back to your earlier question about why we don't talk about money. 
and why it's something so shameful. And it's because the language around money, particularly investing, is so complicated. It's so full of jargon. Um, it's it's kind of that like boilerplate, um, Wolf of Wall Street, like mm-hmm. trading floor type language. Um, I know. I mean, I've been to so many dinners where the older men at the table are the ones talking about investing. And sometimes I kid you not, as someone who's worked in finance for 10 years, I mean, I'm a chartered financial analyst. I've done this. I get it all. I'm like, what are you guys talking about? Because a lot of times they don't even know what they're talking about. Um, it's just like a jargon. Being Gosh, thrown I down so wish board. I was you. I have sat, <laughs> sat in so many of those dinner parties and I really don't know what I'm talking about. I wish I could just borrow your experience <laughs> and let it seep out of my mouth. You can. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, exactly. But it's it's just this language and it's like, it's so dense. And I think it's a lot of industries create their own jargon in a way that breeds tribalism. We're all, um, uh, we all want to be part of a community. We're all kind of tribal by nature as human beings. So a lot of industries do this. In finance, I think it's especially unhelpful because as I said earlier, money is something that touches all of our lives. So the fact that money is made to be so complicated when it really doesn't have to be, we can just boil it down and make it simple um, is is so important. But going back to investing um, specifically, a lot of people don't realize that in the UK, you have um, auto enrollment for pension plans so that when you retire, you'll have a pension. In the US, there is an auto enrollment, but there's um, 401ks and different retirement accounts that companies frequently pay into. And people kind of get it that they need money when they retire. And they think that the company is going to be partially looking after that, which it is in part. Usually your pension alone isn't enough money to live the life you want to live in retirement, which is where saving comes into play. But what a lot of people don't realize is that their pension is invested. So a lot of people um, are saying, oh, I don't, investing isn't for me. And it's like, well, you're already an investor. You just aren't putting like the pieces together, thinking about it in the right way. Um, And another thing that gets missed too is why we invest. And it's not just to make more money. It's not just something for rich people. At the root of it, it's to be inflation. And inflation happens all around us. Things get more expensive, whether we want them to or not. Mm. So if you have a ton of cash saved away in your bank account, if you're the smartest person in the room, if you're a doctor and you think investing isn't for you, but you're making all this money and you're a saver because that's what you've been taught and you want to save money, but it's just sitting there in cash, that money is going to lose value over time. And unless you invest it, you're going to be giving up so much money and not be as prepared as you could otherwise be. But a lot of, again, if people say investing, it's risky, it's too time consuming, it's too hard. And all of that are things that the financial industry wants us to believe. And they've made it in this way and use this difficult, difficult, difficult language so often um, that is holding people back from achieving their true financial potential. It's so interesting you say that. And, you know, I think also 
for some people it is boring for other people it's, <laughs> you know it's really fun and it's interesting yeah. and you know so just to finish my Sam story of finance learning in his first year so I went to his apartment um I don't know just before Christmas and he's so he's kind of quite settled now and he obviously he loves whiskey he loves gin he loves spirits and he has quite a lot there's a lot more in my house that he needs to bring and pick up. But anyway, but then he had a stash in the corner and I'm like, what's this? He said, that's my whiskey investment. So he said, oh, that's the whiskey that I have bought that is going to go up in price. He's part of the Whiskey Society. Lock Fine, where he works, has these specials and they make their own whiskeys. He said, I've bought some of these premium products. I'm doing what you do, mum, which is sometimes I buy a really expensive bottle of whiskey as a real treat and I drink it. I don't just save it because my mom, his granny, has special things that she never uses. So literally stuff for years, like a candle, and she's never burnt a candle, and then it doesn't work. So he says, I do that because I want to taste it, but this is my investment for the future. And he loves it. So actually, you know, there's jazz going on, mom, I better get some savings and investments, but I don't really care passionately, although she cares very passionately about saving the world. So that's the sort of stuff she's looking at. Sam, you can save and invest in things that aren't necessarily stocks and shares that, you know, are a little bit different. I, co I collect modern art um, and it's not normal. And as in the traditional stuff that I've had in my head for the last, you know, 30 odd years, but it is something that I, and I hope they deeply care about. So I guess that's okay as well, isn't it? It's definitely okay. I think that um, when you think about investments, I'm not saying it's the only thing we should do, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely not the only thing you should do. Um, for me, I think one of the most important things that's missed when talk when people talk about investing, especially more recently in cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and all these meme stocks, um, is the concept of risk. So you, right now, we have two um, drastically different sides of the coin. You have some people taking on massive, massive, massive risks. And then you have people taking on no investment risk, which one could argue, and I would argue that it's even riskier than holding your money in cash by not investing at all. Um, but people are choosing to take or not take these risks without an understanding of what the risk is and what they're actually doing, which I think is the biggest issue. Um, so there are many, many types of investments that don't have to be risky and are more of wealth preservation, um, than necessarily, um, trying to get like a, I don't know, two X return over a one year period. Um, and then there's investments which are alternative investments and are a bit riskier. So I think it's all about taking a step back and looking at like your entire financial situation and putting different pieces of your net worth into these different risk buckets um, and just having a good understanding of how a basic investment works. Why do we invest in the first place? What are your options? Yes. Um, and it's things that they're, they're, they don't have to be that hard. They don't have to be as boring as the financial industry makes them out to be. It doesn't have to be full of jargon. At the end of the day, you're buying and selling companies. You can make it interesting um, by talking about companies that you care about. Yeah, yeah. Adding... I think this is brilliant. And I think what we should do, because I absolutely got so many questions about cryptocurrency <laughs> and all of that, we should do a Let's Reset Instagram Live where people can yeah. ask you 
obviously not going to ask me, but we could do a live on it where people can ask all the questions that they really don't know the answer to or they're worried about. Because I think this idea of risk is so important. And maybe that's what we'll do, because I know that all our listeners will be so they've just got so many questions. I know because they ask them in our workshops all the time and they and they DM me on it. So. I think that would be really, really great. Um, We're nearly running out of time, but I just want to talk to you about two more things. So you've done your big reset. You've been an investment banker and you've started your own business. So, you know, you look incredibly young uh, for those of those people that can't see you. And, you know, I, I am so proud of any young female entrepreneurs that I meet. What does it feel like to be an entrepreneur? What's it, what's it like now running uh, your own business? It's great. Um, it so when I worked in finance, it was very very stressful, and um, I was definitely quite burnt out, probably more than once. Um, and as I said earlier, a lot of times kind of just pushed through. Um, but then it wasn't until the pandemic hit, and this is again a couple of years post all of my yoga teacher training and becoming more mindful and meditating more and getting more into this world. And then a global pandemic hits and everything is turned upside down and you have a lot more time to think about what it is you want and um, what it is you value. And I was just so overworked. I mean, I was working in investment banking during the pandemic. I was sitting in this exact spot at my computer way more than I was anywhere else in the house, Um, not seeing friends, not even getting that like camaraderie from the office of seeing other human beings. And I was making a ton of money and I, I took a step back and there was a couple of times I would go out to dinner with friends and just have my cell phone sitting next to me, waiting for that call that I would have to run home, um, had my computer with me everywhere I went. And it's just a total lack of autonomy. And I took a step back and I was like, also not sleeping eight hours a night, far from um, barely working out and going to the gym ordering takeout more than once a day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you were that movie. You were basically living the movie of somebody in yeah. finance in America. Oh, yeah. But I was in London. Um, oh, in London. Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter, does it? In London, New yeah. York, wherever. You, yeah, exactly. That's what you were doing. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, and it's just this lifestyle that everyone, it's a grind. It's very much a grind. And I took a step back and um, I wrote down on a piece of paper my top three non-negotiables. And it's actually shocking how basic they are. They were eight hours of sleep at night, going to the gym uh, at least three times a week and being able to cook at least one of my meals a day. And I wasn't getting those. And I didn't see a path where I can make that happen. Um, And I hit a point where, and again, those were my non-negotiables. And I didn't like that kind of lack of autonomy. And every time I was going out, Maybe I didn't have to work that evening, but just that thought of, okay, maybe I won't have that glass of wine in case I get called or the phone could ring at any point. Sometimes I'd be watching TV at like 9 p.m. on a Sunday and be like, it's a bit too early to go to sleep because I can still get a call. Um, So it's just that lack of control. And you're probably seeing so many of the seven needs. Yes, it's the second seven needs. Autonomy and control. You've got got the fifth and the sixth. You're so there. Absolutely. It's so So interesting, isn't it? For me, I came to the realization that it was riskier to stay than it was to leave um, for my own mental and physical health. And so I left. And now I value those three things a lot. And maybe I'm not getting all three of them every day, but on balance, 
those are things that I need, know I need to prioritize. So I'm much happier. I'm way less stressed. Um, there are a lot of stresses, obviously, that comes mm-hmm. with running a business. Um, I'm, I've had to learn so much. And I mean, my background, like Wall Street, I mean, I worked at a hedge fund and then at an investment bank. Those are so numbers and finance heavy. Um, when I get stressed out, I build financial models, which for other people are like, what? Um, so it's been, it's been a massive learning curve in sales, marketing, advertising, um, branding, Instagram, but it, but it's been a lot of fun. And I think that for me, the reason that I did this was so linked back to mental health. Um, so it's, it's, it, every time I kind of, I'm like, oh, I'm so stressed out. Why am I doing this? And as an entrepreneur, um, there's really, really high highs and really low lows, but what gets you through those lows is your why and remembering um, why I'm doing this for myself and for others, linking it back to finances being stressful. And if this is something that comes so easy and so naturally to me, I feel um, compelled to help others make it not be so difficult and so stressful. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Anna. And you're so right, which is, you know, the seventh uh, need of well-being performance is purpose and you have really found that and I think what's interesting and it happens all the time when I talk to entrepreneurs it is a stressful life but I think in the same way that you're reminding people around finance that you know you need to understand it set boundaries and know when it's enough yeah. I think as an entrepreneur understanding and remembering when the day is enough it's okay <laughs> because we yeah. can you know we can work and I've done it 24-7. You can do more than you were doing last time, but you know how damaging that is. So you know what? It, the problem's still going to be there tomorrow or the day after. And if you don't fix it immediately, your business is not going to fall apart. Exactly. And I think as an entrepreneur, we need to do more to help all entrepreneurs realize that. It's not, you know, just because you love it doesn't mean that you have to work at it every single second of the day. And that's, you know, it's, it's brilliant to hear what you're doing and the way you're approaching it. There's a big difference between productivity and hours worked too. Just because you worked more hours doesn't mean you're going to be more productive. No, absolutely. Absolutely, Gabby. Um, and then just finally, so you, you know, you talked about your yoga, you talked about your meditation. What else do you do for your own well-being? Well, you've done actually, I mean, you had such a great list. Those are the three things. Is there anything else that you, you that you kind of live your life by going, this is one of the things I have to do? Um, I mean, those three things are are really absolutely key. Yeah, sleep, exercise, and eating healthy. I mean, exercise, exercise and sleep are probably like vie for the top two. Um, I mean, when I exercise, my mind is just so much clearer. I feel happier. I feel better. I can take on the day. Sometimes I'll wake up and be like, oh, I have so much work to do. I shouldn't go to the gym. Sometimes I don't go to the gym. Um, but the days that I do, there is such a big difference. And well, it doesn't have to be a huge gym session. That's just, you, it can be a walk. And actually, yeah. one of my other guests, um, uh, Dr. Rock, who was on the week before this, she uh, she talks about, actually, you don't need to go to the gym at all. So her whole premise is don't go to the gym. Walk. Yes. Outside and walk. And actually, what happens to you physiologically, the best thing you can do is walk outside. So it's actually a lovely thing. You know, like you, I love going to the gym and, you know, I love triathlons, but it's okay as long as you get some exercise and you're outside. Getting outside, so important. I, I should have mentioned that as number one. There's, especially with pandemic, working from home, there's 
now less so because I make it a priority, but there was days I'd be like on day three of not having set foot outside. And that is just bad news for your mental space. <laughs> shocking, isn't it? You imagine yeah. three days and it's just absolutely shocking. Oh, look, Gabby, I could talk to you all day. Thank you so much. Likewise. I've learned so much. I was so interested to talk to you because it's an area as you can see I, I've worried about for most of my life. I'm passionate about, I worry about it because of my children and they are showing already that they're much more. They sound like they're they're doing great. They are doing okay. So I'm pretty proud of them. Um, You know, I love your analogy of the haunted house. And I think for me, that's what finance has been for so much of my life. Um, You have absolutely today turned the lights on. Uh, (laughs) For me, I think for for, uh, our listeners today, but I think that's obviously what you're doing in your business. So, Good luck with Fanasana. Um, we will we will have all uh, the details so people can get in touch with you. They can follow and they can come and work with you. Uh, but we will do a live uh, Instagram with Let's Reset because I think there's loads of questions that will come out of this that people will want to ask. So, Gabby, thank you so much for joining of me course. today. Amazing. Thank you. And I'll do a quick final plug on Fanasana. As a member, there's a feature called Ask Fanasana. Um, so it's a monthly or an annual subscription and you literally have a little finance Google in your pocket that you can ask any questions. So beyond the live, there are options to ask all of your questions. <laughs> Brilliant. And we'll put that on Let's Reset. Uh, you've done a lovely video that's on Let's Reset Plus. So if you if you sign up to Let's Reset Plus, you can see Gabby and you can get all those details as well. So thank you, Gabby. It's been so lovely. Thank you so much, Suki. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed Reset the Podcast, I'd love it if you would forward it to your work colleagues, friends, and family. Reset the Podcast is a Let's Reset and Advertising Week global production. Executive producer is Richard Larson, with me, Suki Thompson. Thanks to our sponsor, Liars Non-Alcoholic Spirits, and voiceover artist, Talitha Penny. Music provided by Audio Network. <laughs>